welcome back to the newest episode in the Ask the Expert series. It's definitely an episode to get excited for because what you're going to hear about today will give you the fantastic opportunity to quite literally make history. My guest for this episode is Zoe Viney. Zoe is a film curator at the Wessex Sound and Film Archive of the Hampshire Record Office. In today's episode, you're going to hear all about the 38,000 strong film archive and how you can add your own little piece of history to this wonderful collection. As well as this, we tackle the incredibly important issue of the underrepresentation of minority group filmmakers within the archive, such as female filmmakers and those from the Bame community, and we explore how this can be changed in future. Now, if learning about this unique record of our shared local heritage and having the opportunity to make your own history sounds great to you, you're going to love this episode. And please find a link in the description for how you too can get involved. Good morning everyone and welcome to another exciting episode of the Ask the Expert series. I'm here with Zoe Viney who is the film curator at the Wessex Film and Sound Archive. Zoe, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I'm really looking forward to being able to talk to you a bit about what you do today. Um, so if it's okay, can you just start off by sort of introducing what it is you do? I understand it's sort of making history through film. So, so tell me a little bit about how that works. Yeah, hi, thanks for having me. Um, I work at Wessex Film and Sound Archive. Um, Wessex Film and Sound Archive is a regional repository for historic film and sound items. So that means we collect old film and old sound recordings um, from as far back as the technology will take us. So 1895 um, is when kind of cinema was invented and we have items in the collection of film from around 1897. So kind of really, really early on in the history, history of cinema. Um, and the kind of material we hold is amateur material, but also professional broadcast material from the region. So we kind of we're a regional collection. So we collect items which have been made locally. So when we talk about local material, it's kind of things that have been produced by filmmakers living and working in Southampton. Um, and my role as film curator is really to kind of um, create access opportunities to that film and sound collection. So my remit is really around kind of engaging people with the collection getting people in front of film and kind of helping them interpret it. Sounds like a great job. So when you, when you talk about sort of um, the, the films that are included, what sorts of things do you have as part of this record? I imagine it's quite different in terms of the, the things that are covered, but, but what sort of, to give people a bit of a flavour, what, what might they see in there? Um, so there's literally everything. It's so diverse. There's 38,000 items in the entire collection um, and the film items can be anything from documentaries shot by television south in the 1960s and 1970s to kind of beach holidays um, filmed by people in the 1920s who lived locally um, the sound recordings uh, we have an awful lot of oral history so when people um, interview kind of older relatives about times gone by um, we've got lots of those in the collection. They can be a really excellent um, resource, actually, for kind of learning about history and people's own words and their own experience. Um, we have an awful lot of amateur film within the collection. Um, I'm always drawn to the amateur film because it kind of gives you a glimpse of what everyday life might have been like. And it's all, because it's a regional collection, it's all kind of locations which you will have heard of or you, you have an awareness of. And it, the chances of you kind of spotting a relative, if you're local, if you, you the chance of spotting someone that you might know on screen, uh, you know, in the past 50, 60 years is kind of adds an extra layer of excitement, really. Yeah, it certainly sounds very exciting. And in terms of 
just film as a, a type of historic media, if you like. Why for you is that something that is? What's the purpose behind that, and why is it so more or so much more interesting per se than maybe written documents? I find film um, to be a fantastic resource, um, particularly when you're kind of doing historical resource, kind of for any topic really within history, because it records all sorts of different elements of social history. So, a film shot by somebody in the 1930s. Um, is coming from a particular standpoint. So as with every historical source, you have to consider um, who who made it, why they produced it. And I think with amateur film, you have all those questions as well, but you also have this kind of almost unfiltered access. Um, so they're filming what was happening in their life, and very often it's not staged. Um, it hasn't been thought out to the nth degree. Obviously, they, they did think about what they filmed, but it, it isn't staged in any way. So in the in contrast to kind of professional films um, from the period that you can kind of access online, kind of newsreels and that kind of thing, they're very structured, very organised. But amateur film is fantastic because you get all these different elements of life which just don't come through in kind of Hollywood and kind of professional newsreels. Um, the, one of the amazing things about film for me is that there are people moving, <laughs> uh, which sounds really, really obvious. Um, but I think we get so used to seeing, you know, old photographs of our grandparents or our great grandparents, and they're in black and white. And although we know they were in kind of full colour, we, we don't think of them in full colour, we think of them as being black and white. So when you see a piece of archive film, particularly colour film, early colour film, and you see people moving and interacting with one another, um, you kind of get a real sense of actually what it might have been like to kind of live then and how people interacted and, you know, if they're wearing a particular type of clothing, how they wore it, what they wore it with, and what they were doing when they wore that piece of clothing. It kind of, particularly, if, um, I have a specialism in history of textiles and dress, so kind of seeing how clothing is worn, I find really, really interesting. Yeah, again, it all sounds like such a fascinating thing to be able to work with and, and a resource to look into that has so many benefits. And you mentioned earlier about 38,000 8, different film clips. I mean, that's a lot to work with. So so what are your sort of current projects in terms of the, the film archive and what you're working on at the moment? I think, as you said, one of the challenges we have um, in terms of kind of selecting projects and items to work on is the, the sheer quantity of material that we have. So 38,000 kind of covers film and sound. Um, if we're thinking of cine film, so kind of old film reels, um, we have around 12,000 of those items. So you've got to start with a theme, really. And um, we're working on a project at the moment called Making History, Making Movies. And the idea of Making History, Making Movies is really to get people to focus on the work of amateur filmmakers in the early part of the 20th century, see what we can learn from them, what can we tell from the world that they're living in, from the material they chose to film, but then use that to kind of inspire us to kind of create the archive of the future. So it's about thinking, yeah, we've got really fantastic footage of the 1920s and 1930s in Hampshire and the wider Wessex region, but do we have the same quality footage of now that we can look back on in 100 years' time and say, oh, yeah, that's really great footage? And it, it, it struck me that we didn't have that because we weren't contemporary, um, didn't have an active contemporary collecting policy. So making history, making movies is really about getting people to think about what they might, might record in their everyday lives now and think about um, submitting to the archive. I mean, that sounds to me like something that anyone who's listening can get involved in so easily because, I mean, everyone's got a, a camera in their pocket now, haven't they, on their phone? So what sorts of things in particular for anyone who is listening and would like to get involved? Are you looking for themselves to, to record happening, doing, activities-wise, anything along those lines? 
Yeah, absolutely. And you're absolutely right. Anyone can get involved. If you've got any kind of smart device, or even if you've just got an old, you know, an older digital camera that you can record movies on, um, we're looking for up to five minutes of film. So each clip uh, has to be under five minutes, just so that we get people to kind of think in terms of what am I going to include in my five minutes. But we want to capture kind of everyday life, really. So it could be it could be Zoom lessons at the moment, because, you know, everyday life is slightly different to what it has been normally. It could be kind of going on your daily exercise through the town centre, which is partially deserted, or there are loads of queues, or it could be um, a birthday party that you had in between in between lockdowns. Um, what we really just want to reflect is what real people were doing in the region. Um, and we're not necessarily asking for people to kind of present the masterpiece to us. We're not asking for the next Spielberg. What we want is real footage of real people and real locations in the region. And that sounds like something, as you mentioned, everyone could do that. If you are listening, I massively encourage you to send a piece in. Whereabouts, out of interest, can people send these films to, so if they are interested in doing that? Yeah, so we have a blog post which has got all of the information on it, so I'll make sure the link is included with the, with the podcast in the notes. Um, we've got a link which tells you all about the project, and what we ask you to do, if you've got something that you want to contribute, is just to pop us an email. Um, we can have a conversation with you, um, and then we can figure out how to get the film from you, so it'd probably be kind of like a file transfer link, and then you can... Sign the, sign the forms necessary to go with it for permissions because the film will be formally accessioned into the collection. So there is some, a little bit of paperwork, um, not too much, so we don't want to put people off. Um, but once we've got that sorted and then we can receive the films for you and they'll go into the archive. And then, you know, in 100 years time, looking back, hopefully we'll be reviewing your films. Brilliant. Thanks so much. And that sounds so easy to do. So anyone who is listening who fancies getting involved, please do have a go at that. It will be a fantastic resource for future. Um, Zoe, one of the things I'm quite interested in around where these films come from is particularly who they come from i mean the world's always been a, a pretty diverse place although it's not always been recognized and, and no more so than today for you know the number of people we have living in the same area from different backgrounds different heritage different cultures so who are you looking to get these videos from uh, we really want to collect from everybody but we are hoping to raise awareness particularly within underrepresented groups so if you're from a black and ethnic minority community or you're female um, for example you are you are underrepresented within our collection as it stands at the moment and what we're really keen to do is ensure that we don't have that same underrepresentation of our collection in 100 years time so we want to look back and actually feel that the collection that we have and the images and the films that we have are actually reflecting the people who lived in Hampshire um, at Hampshire and the wider Wessex region, I should say. So it's really important for us to kind of encourage people to kind of think about, oh, yes, I, I would like to be involved in this. And, and if you have any questions or reservations, then we can always have a conversation about it. Um, it's the kind of thing we, a lot of people maybe feel a little bit hesitant to put stuff in the archives, kind of feel like they're kind of submitting part of themselves to, you know, public record. Um, but what we're happy to do is if people want to submit to the archive, they can close the record for a period of time. So it's the kind of thing if you felt it was a little bit too personal, but you still wanted to contribute, um, we are more than happy to kind of put a closure period on the record so that nobody sees them for a certain period of time. So it could be that, yes, you want to contribute, but you're a bit worried about it, um, and we can have a conversation and figure out the best way to kind of get you into the archive in a way that you feel comfortable with. Um, but certainly, we, we want to encourage everybody to kind of ensure that their background, their family is represented in the archive. Yeah, that sounds like a fantastic cause alongside providing that sort of almost time capsule like video for, for a historical record as well. We're, we're covering those underrepresented groups. 
looking back over the last hundred years, then what sort of evidence do we have for these underrepresented groups? Are, are they completely absent in in the in the archive, or, or are there some examples that we can look at already to sort of base from in future? I think in the film and sound archive, um, there are challenges, I would say, to kind of visibility within the collection. So it would be wrong and inaccurate for me to say that there aren't people from um, minority communities in, in the collection. There are. But one of the challenges we have is when we're looking back, particularly in the last year, um, the last year has been kind of a bit of an eye opener for, for many of us working with collections, because when I've I've looked at the collection and tried to source material with, to kind of demonstrate diversity um, in the collection. I found it really, really challenging to locate material. And this isn't because it isn't there, because I have seen clips as I've been kind of doing my daily work. Um, but it's actually about how, how things are catalogued and how things, um, what keywords are used to help people from black and ethnic minority communities actually locate their own heritage. So when you're undertaking your own family history, you're relying on a certain set of search terms or um, language that you might use to kind of locate pieces of information um, that are relevant to you and your family. And what I have found with um, the film collection is that it's very difficult to, to know what the right language is to locate kind of black heritage in film. It is very difficult, it's challenging. Um, one of the other areas which are particularly underrepresented um, in kind of early film are women filmmakers. And this is, again, very similar in terms of how keywords are used to kind of identify female filmmakers. So typically collections um, inherit the name of the filmmaker. So you might have um, the blogs collection. Um, and typically it would be thought that it would be produced by Mr. Blogs. Um, but in some cases, and this is where I, my experience of working with the collection is that you, you, aren't, you make an assumption that it has been produced by a Mr actually once you do further research or you actually make contact with the filmmaker's family you find out that it was um you know a married couple that were producing films together and that actually mr blogs only did part of the filmmaking process and his wife you know took a took a lead on so much more of the filmmaking process but women tend to get written out of history in that respect so it's not necessarily reflected in the catalog and that's not true in every single case there are many cases where film women are attributed um, appropriately, but there are many more cases where women just kind of disappear in the record. And that for me um, is challenging because I know they're there. <laughs> it's just locating them. Yeah, it sounds like a real challenge to overcome, but but also one that's very worthwhile in, in sort of pursuing. Can you tell us a little bit about the reasons sort of more deeply as to why that is in the historical sort of context? So in terms of maybe social attitudes, is that something that's had an impact on why it is more difficult to, to locate these female filmmakers and, and those from underrepresented communities throughout history? Um, I'd say it's quite complex. I don't think there's any one reason why it has happened, um, particularly in relation to female filmmakers, for example. Um, the generalised assumption now that most filmmakers in the early part of the 20th century were white, male, middle class. And that, broadly speaking, is true. Um, but the problem is with an assumption like that is that it kind of completely ignores the, the fact that there were lots and lots of women filmmakers. Um, so the challenges are around kind of like the dominant kind of dominance of patriarchal society, you know, one of them. Um, and also the assumption that kind of if you're working as in a partnership and in the early part of the 20th century, then the husband is is kind of the lead 
the leader in that and then they are attributed the filmmaking kind of ownership if you like so that's one of the biggest challenge and um, also there's a kind of most films that end up in an archive have come on a journey so it's very rare that you get a piece of archive film that just has a very straightforward journey to the archive so it could have been made by a particular group of people it's been deposited in a cupboard for 45 years it's been found by the filmmaker's daughter's daughter um, they don't know what they've got necessarily so then they try and view it and then it goes to somebody else's house and then it might come to an archive so by the time it ends up in an archive um, we have this kind of process that we've got to kind of trace back through to see if we can identify a who the filmmakers were but we're also relying on kind of second or third hand knowledge which has been passed down through families so there is an element of um an element of guesswork really as well so um there's lots lots to unpick um and i think I, it's hard to list the challenges because there are so many of them and they're so varied according to the items that you're working with um we work with a, one particular collection produced by city eye in southampton um it's a really really fantastic um we talk about diversity in the collection and city eyes um city eyes film collection is fantastic because it really is representative of southampton in the 80s and 90s um but it's quite difficult to kind of extrapolate from the cataloging um what you might expect to see when you're viewing any of those films and i think that's just down to um our changing view of how we ought to catalogue um, and particularly in um, particularly in relation to kind of race and ethnic background there are so many sensitivities um, which we kind of feel we have to navigate in terms of how we catalogue items um, but I think in the last year that's become a lot clearer for us um, in terms of how to go forward to improve access um, so this year has been or the past 12 months I'd say has been kind of really fantastic in kind of widening how we can access to those collections. Thanks very much. And and one of the names that you sort of have mentioned to me in the past in terms of like a case study of, of a local filmmaker is that of Emma Fritchley from Fairham. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about her story for the listeners? So we've got that idea of a case study of somebody from one of these underrepresented groups that, that we know was active and, and making films across the 20th century. Yes, um, there was a lady called Emma Fritchley, and Emma is unique. So I've been talking about people not being represented in the collection and not being visible, but Emma's one of those filmmakers who actually has been correctly attributed. Um, her, her films have been directly attributed to her in the cataloguing, and we actually have quite a lot of information about her. She um, was active in the Fairham area in the 1920s and 1930s. Um, she had grown up in India. Um, and she met her husband um, in the teens uh, and then came back over to England and started filmmaking really at the kind of boom period of amateur filmmaking. So around 1923, she first acquired a cine camera and she was quite prolific. We've got lots of films in the collection from Emma. Um, and what I find really interesting is that we, although we have lots of information about her and her life, um, everything has been appropriately attributed and her kind of family passed out stories of her um, about her being so enthusiastic about experimenting with film and the things that she liked to produce. She was quite active in the in the film club um, in Fairham and she actually came on uh, went on to be quite a prominent member of Fairham society as well and film was one of the things that she advocated for so she was keen to get people involved. Um, I think she set up a film club in Fairham and she really was kind of a trailblazer, really, at the time. She was quite active, did a lot of voluntary work during the Second World War, um, and 
think she passed on the love of film, which is, for us is fantastic in terms of the archive um, um, holding those films because the films came with a story. And I, I mentioned before about how we have to so often kind of cobble together the story from various different sources and some of it's guesswork. Um, but with Emma, we were given we were given all of that detail, which is fantastic because it kind of helps us piece the films together. Um, she produced some fantastic films which kind of focused on the community. So um, Portsdown Hill Fair, for example, in 1930, she produced a lovely film, um, which is really just about taking in the community and kind of filming the goings on. Um, so one of the things you tend to find, um, different filmmakers focus on slightly different things. And Emma was very much um, kind of a community chronicler, if you like. She liked to she liked to capture the things going on around her locally. And I'm imagining that she actually screened those um, screened those local films then to local people, because that was a thing. People with cine cameras would go out and film local events and activities, and then there would be a screening event to kind of follow up a few weeks later. Um, so she was a really important member of the community, and it, it's just really great to have a story where we, we have lots more background about her. And I will make sure I provide some links to some of her films so people can check them out. That would be fantastic. Thanks very much again for explaining Emma's story to us. Um, I think for me, it, it all sounds like we, we're obviously living through unprecedented times. And as we mentioned earlier, everybody has a camera in their pocket at this point in time. Everybody, I say everybody, a lot of people are, are consistently surfing on the likes of Instagrams, of TikToks, of Snapchats. And you know, why not use that five minutes of having that phone out in your pocket to document these unprecedented times we are living through so they're preserved for future and that we've got that record sorry thank you so much for your time this morning just before we sort of go is there any closing message you'd like to give to uh, any listeners around the film archive around the project you're working on and, and what they need to do oh yes absolutely so i think one of the things is don't kind of self-censor yourself um if you if you film, film something in the past year and you can get under five minutes of film together for us and it shows what's going on in your life and what's going on in the local area, we really would like to see it and collect it. Um, I think one of the challenges is getting people to think, oh, I don't, why would they want my footage? What, it's just my life. It's just me doing this in lockdown. But actually, in 100 years, it really will have some value. So um, if you're not sure, get in touch, have a conversation, um, and then see if we can try and create the archive of the future together. Such a lovely message to end on, and I'd echo that. Please do, if you're listening, get involved, get some film together if you can. And as Zoe mentions, people will see that 100 years from now and understand what life was like for us, what life was like for you, who you are um, and where you were from, and what a lovely thing to be able to preserve. Zoe, once again, thank you so much for your time for this episode. It's been fantastic to talk to you. Um, we will be recording a careers episode shortly as well, so I'd encourage anyone who's interested in maybe pursuing a similar career to go across and have a little listen to that episode now. Um, but as I say, Zoe, thank you so much for your time, and that's been absolutely fascinating for me, and I'm sure for the listeners as well. Thank you for having me. No problem at all.